It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I'm your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the program. And with me in the KFG studios, my business partners and fellow CFPs, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. We're talking through the regional banking crisis to kick things off on today's show. What led to the banking failures? Should we expect more ahead? And maybe more importantly, uh, what are the responses that we should have in our own personal financial life, especially with the way that you manage your own cash? We're going to cover that and more on today's episode. Cindy, my beautiful and incredible wife, uh, doesn't love finances. It's sort of uh, the butt of jokes in our household. And yet she even asked about this. Hey, hey, do we need to hold cash? Do we need to pull cash out of the bank and put it in the safe? And uh, you might have thought that as well. We're going we're gonna to talk about that. If you have a question for the program or have any needs, we are here to help. Call or text 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. Online, you can find us, wisemoneyshow.com or all over social media, wherever you're at, we are there as well. Search The Wise Money Show. It's been about a month and a half since the so-called regional banking crisis. And you might say, guys, Wise Money Show, guys, what's taking you so long? Well, I mean... I sort of thought at the moment more was going to spiral. We there were planes all flying in unannounced to Omaha to talk to the Oracle and hey, can you help us? Then apparently the White House did the same thing and we, we I mean there it's sort of been uneventful. I don't know when you're listening to this at the time we're recording it. There hasn't been much since that first week where everything sort of spiraled so we've just sort of waited to see well what's going to unfold here and uh, and now it's sort of a question of well is this it? Is there more? Before we get into that, I, I like just to keep it simple. And by simple, I mean element, elementary school. <laughs> like who, what, when, where, why, and maybe how. Kevin, what, like, let's start summarizing what has happened for those that maybe aren't really sure or up to date or follow the narrative. Well, there's, uh, here's what's happened is there have been some bank failures. Now, there's the, the question of why, that's what everyone wants to know. I believe that not even the regulators are fully aware of, I, I've, I've read, I've studied, I've listened, I've watched, and it's still a little bit confusing. It's kind of like this wild horse that's being ridden, and, they, and it's somewhat unpredictable. So uh, you can attribute the, the failure in Silicon Bank, the the bottom line, it appears, is poor risk management. Hmm. They didn't have a risk manager at the bank for uh, nine months. Uh, the, the risk manager that they had uh, prior to was concerned with things other than banking stuff. So um, let's just say maybe – if if you're in in the bank and you're not rigidly disciplined about banking things, but you're more concerned about social things, you could find yourself in trouble. Hmm. So their their risk manager uh, got bounced. Um, you know. Uh, anyways, I'm, I I could say more about that, but I won't. But so so they what happened? One of the things that happened was once the run started, it the there were. Billions of dollars that flowed out of Silicon Valley Bank. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that was a bank that if you wanted money, if you were a tech startup, you could get money. And so it was no, it was kind of the bank CN- if, you're, if you're in tech. CNBC reported that 50% of U.S.-based startups had money at Silicon Valley Bank. So they were the sort of, I mean, that's, that's an enormous percentage. Okay, so Silvergate Bank was crypto. They, they helped finance and, and bank the, for crypto companies. They weren't speculating, as far as I know, weren't speculating in cryptocurrencies themselves, but they were helping to do the banking for these crypto companies. And on March 8th, after crypto has had such a, had such a terrible run for the previous six months, on March 8th, they basically said, we need to shut the bank down. Okay, that was March 8th. That was a Wednesday. All of a sudden, that puts the spotlight on the banking industry. Who else is at risk here? And Wall Street starts indicating that because they're trading every moment. And you can see what traders who are looking at financial statements, talking to uh, people in the know, what they see. A lot of bank stocks started to drop. By Friday, there was question about Silicon Valley Bank. And they didn't even make it to Monday. On what was it? Or no, on on Friday, Silicon Valley Bank closed, and Signature Bank was the one that uh, that didn't make it to Monday. On on Sunday, closed as well. As soon as a bank, as it gets clear that oh, this bank is is in financial trouble because you can move millions of dollars at a moment on your phone, mm-hmm. the bank run, quote unquote, which is all of a sudden people say, wait, wait a second, this bank's in trouble. I'm gonna pull my money out or transfer my money that can happen in a matter of seconds and this bank run which back in great depression might take a week or a while now takes hours this wasn't a bunch of individuals or families going and pulling their two thousand dollars out it was millions coming out in chunks billions actually i mean and and so that was the problem because in order to raise the billions silicon valley bank had to sell assets and the assets that they sold were underwater or they were they were currently at a loss. So this I think this is the structural piece that applies to all banks and will help lead to the to answering the question of could there be more pressure on banks ahead and should you do anything about it? And that is the structural yes, there were there were collateral issues with each of these three banks that contributed to their failure. Mm-hmm. Did they directly cause it and no other bank would ever do this? I'm not sure. I think all banks, certainly regional banks, as well as individuals, are have faced a similar issue with interest rates. And here's what happens. When you as a depositor put money in your checking account, your savings account, the bank just doesn't sit on it. Right. They then use that money they try to make money on it for their operations and so on now they need a risk manager to make sure they're managing the risk with it but they go and lend that money out to try to make a certain return on it that's right and then they pay you a yield an interest rate that's right Uh, and a lot of people don't realize that i mean it makes sense when you say it out loud but a lot of people think i put my money in the bank and now it is sitting in the vault they're holding it in safekeeping for me and then i will get it when i want it right but that is not the case. They are taking your dollars. They're basically borrowing from you as you make a deposit, and then they're lending it at even higher rates and longer terms to businesses, to you as a, a mortgagee, to buy a car, whatever. Um, that These loans are made, and it's not like that money is just sitting there in their hands. They have to keep some of it on hand. 
there are very strict rules about the health of a bank, and they have to be doing constant reporting. Um, you, you know, they have to keep a, a certain amount of liquidity available for people to come get their cash when they when they want it. But it's not all the cash. And so the, the question is, well, what are they doing? What smart things can a bank do with this money that produces a good rate of return for the bank, but it generates profits that they then can pay you an interest rate on your deposits? And they have to be able to manage their, their liquidity. But what they cannot do, and there's not a bank on the, on the planet that would be able to have all their depositors show up one day and say, hey, I want my cash back. Yeah. Because they can't go to all of the the bank loans that they've made and say, hey, we want you to pay your 30-year mortgage back uh, 22 years early, please. Yeah, right. right? They, they can't do that. And so um, this this is part of the issue. And with some of these banks that failed, they had actually excess cash that they were not making loans necessarily to only startups and only tech companies and things. They were actually buying uh, treasury bonds. So they were essentially lending the money to the federal government. The, the issue there is when interest rates go up, those val- the value of those bonds go down. And, uh, and that's what they had to go sell, depressed bonds in order to return money to these depositors. And now all of a sudden they're violating the, those health standards that the government has for them. And, and to Mike's point, it happened immediately like Rapid, because yeah. Peter Thiel, who's a famous billionaire uh, startup guy, um, and the Founders Fund guy, he t- he tweeted, uh, you know, basically get your money out of Silicon Valley Bank. Well, then that was it. And yeah. <laughs> there there was an interesting story about uh, a bank in the downtown district by a train station, and it was raining, and so people had their umbrellas, and then but there was a canopy over the bank, so people it, it, to get out of the rain went and stood by the bank. And people looked and said, oh, that's a bank run. Oh, my. And, oh, geez. Yeah. All so, right. So there's more about what happened. But then the big huh. deal is, is this going to continue and how does it impact you? We've got that more coming up on The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Okay, we're still in trying to figure out this regional banking crisis. Was it really a crisis? But really, really. What should you do about it? What's your response? How should this influence how you manage your cash? We've got that coming up. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KF2 studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on podcast wherever you listen. Just uh, search the Wise Money Show. Subscribe to it there or follow us there. Rate the program there. We appreciate it. All right. So sort of covering just a, a brief brief summary of what's happened with the regional banking crisis. I want to get to guys, is it possible we're on the other side of this thing? You know, some are saying, well, was this even a crisis? You know, two of the top, two of the three biggest bank failures happened during that, that time period. So you might call it a crisis, but are we past it? Or was it a flash in the pan? And I think that idea of banks taking your deposits and instead of lending them out in car loans or mortgages, lent them to the federal government by buying treasury bonds and not buying seven-day bonds or one-year bonds, but buying 20- or 30-year bonds, which is outrageous that knowing and just or believing or, or expecting interest rates to rise, that a bank would do that. Because when, 
when you're buying those 20 or 30 year bonds, you're getting the current interest rate and you're locking that money up at that interest rate for that 20 or 30 years. And so prior to this, prior to this year, prior to beginning of 2022, let's say, where were interest rates on 20 and 30 year bonds? One and a half percent, two percent. So banks were earning one or two percent on that money. And then as the Federal Reserve wrote increased interest rates at the fastest pace ever off of zero, mm-hmm. they couldn't afford to continue to pay that level of interest rate to depositors who were expecting mm-hmm. to earn that on savings account. I don't know if you've looked at your savings account at the bank and said, wait a second, why am I only getting 0.2%? I thought interest rates were four. They can't afford to do it. They can't afford to pay you that. And all of that investment that the banks held is now worth less, not worth less, but space in between, worth less because the interest rates on those bonds are now below what the prevailing market is. Any, any, how, how would you improve that, Josh? What, uh, Kevin? No, I, I, that, I think that's really good. I, I mean, there's so many fascinating stories that come out of this. And in hindsight, they're in, in looking back, for instance, at Silicon Valley Bank, there were things that could have been done that would have prevented it. Um, one of the things, one of the banks that got shut down was Signature Bank. And Barney Frank was on the board of Signature Bank. Barney Frank, and we remember the Dodd-Frank legislation that came through and and made our lives a mess uh, (laughs) to deal with uh, that legislation. But that put some really tough regulatory safeguards on for banks that were $50 billion and above. That was in 2010. Well, in 2018, they moved that threshold up to $250 billion. Some some of that at the at the um, uh, you know lobbyists like Barney Frank who when he left Congress went to work on the other side of the street yeah and so that has that that easing some people have blamed on that but it I I think when this when the when the final story is written it'll be a story of of mismanagement and other blunders. That that have yeah. caused it to not work because the when when I'm when I'm the the we said we weren't going to get into technical stuff but the if I buy something that's in a bond a ten year bond at one point five percent and now bonds are at three point five percent I can't sell my one point five percent bond for 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 par. For the same value that I invested. if I put a million dollars in, you're not going to give me a million for a, a 1.5 because you can put your one point your million at 3.5. Right. So you'll have to sell that million for 850 or something something. Or, like that. If I, if or I, you hold it all the way to the end of the loan and you get your full million. Exactly. Back, right? If I had a brokerage statement, it would show that there's a loss on there. Mm-hmm. But the banks, if they if they categorize that as held to maturity. They didn't have to reflect that loss on their balance sheet. So here's the thing. Let's, because uh, we've got it. That, all of this is for, well, how should this change how you manage your cash? But because of this fundamental interest rate issue, do we think, yes, Kevin, I think the final story will be on that this was caused by mismanagement. But everyone's dealing with, everyone in every bank is dealing with the ramifications of the swift and rapid rise of interest rates by the federal reserve along the way it was well geez is the fed raising interest rate i mean they have to because of inflation but are they going to break something guys they might have just broken some of the banking 
So do we think this is isolated? Just I know no one knows the future, but I'm just mm-hmm. going to ask you, mm-hmm. and and then put it in your face if you uh, get it wrong. <laughs> um, do, do we think this is this is it? Is there more bank failure to, ahead? What do you guys think? Well, here's what I think. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. All I know is this. I'll put it, that in your face. It, <laughs> <laughs> See, you didn't know. Look what so, happened. No, I mean, if you think about this, it could be worse. You could be responsible for some investments for a country like Saudi Arabia and maybe put $100 billion into a Swiss bank. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then when asked if you wanted to raise your stake above 10%, you didn't say the perfect thing. The bank uh, gets fails, gets bought by another bank, and your investment is mostly worthless. Yeah, yeah. There, There's no way to know what bank is going to experience a run on the bank, At all. right? Nope. You, you don't know which areas of the country are suddenly going to feel spooked and say, man, I need to take my money out or I need to take part of my money out. It, it's impossible to know. You don't have a crystal ball. But that is the question. Two-thirds of clients that come in right now have mm-hmm. this as an agenda item. Yeah. They want to know, hey, which banks should I trust? Yep. Uh, what what should I be doing with my money? And there's no way for us to be able to look at all the local banks, all the regional banks, all the national banks, and say, okay, this one right here, they're immune to a bank run, or uh, absolutely, th- they're managing it right. Uh, these ones, they're they're kind of fly by night because you will be assured that that bank is in great financial shape right up to the day that it's closed. Yeah. So so. So the what am what are we trying to know? We're trying to know which banks are going to fail. That that's not what we should try to know. We should try to know what are the rules and how now should I live? So here's the thing: what what are the ramifications? Then how should you how should this influence how you manage your cash? To me, there's apparently there's what is it seven seven trillion that is above. FDIC limits. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that is businesses. But here's the thing: you might look and have have heard the whisper that Warren Buffett said no one will lose a dime on their savings. He actually came out and said that no one will lose a dime. Um, then, of course, FDIC was very swift to say we're going to insure all deposits for for these for two of the three banks. Um, so you might say, ah, I'm fine. No, nope, nope. Manage your FDIC limits. Manage your FDIC limits. Uh, to me, that, that it doesn't take this banking crisis to cause that. Your CFP has always told you that, and you've probably just said, oh, that's a nuisance. That's a, that's a bother. That's extra work. No, that is a takeaway with how you should manage your cash with this. Make sure you stay below the FDIC limits, even if it's a little inconvenient. Mm-hmm. And I, so I talk to a business, because if you're a business, it's likely that you've got north of the FDIC insured limits because you've got your corporate treasury at the bank. So I was just talking to a business who had just talked to one of the financial professionals in their life, and they were given bad information about the FDIC insured limits for a bank. So, that I mean, Mike, you're saying manage that. There are lots of folks that don't fully understand it. Mm-hmm. But if you thought, as a rule of thumb, $250,000 per person, is the FDIC limit. If you are an individual or if you're a married couple, yes, I'm, I'm excluding the, the businesses, mm-hmm. right, uh, which have significantly more. Most people are going to be able to keep their, their balances under $250,000. If you have more of that, more cash than that, 
you probably need another bank, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's what you mean by managing yep. your limits. Make sure that you don't have too many eggs in one basket, as they say, too much money in one bank. And that way, if the unthinkable happened and one of your banks failed, you know that there is a government-backed agency standing ready to make you whole. Now, just keep in mind, they're not standing ready to make you whole in 24 hours, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so you also have to be managing your liquidity to be able to function even if your bank, were, one of your banks, were to um, freeze up on you temporarily. Yeah. So work with your CFP. It's, yeah, essentially 250 per person. Join account, right? So you need to be aware of that. But uh, trust accounts, you need to be aware of that. So work with your CFP on that. More implications. We've got that and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. You've got to manage your FDIC limits. Now, the challenge is FDIC is a little confusing. How does it work? We're going to break that down for you right now and more. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFC studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on the YouTube channel. Go check it out as well as a lot of other content on how to take your next wise step in your financial life, how to approach your finances in high inflationary, and if inflation's coming down, what should you be doing, all of that and more. Go to YouTube, search The Wise Money Show. Talking about the regional banking crisis and how this influences how you should manage your cash. The very first is you've got to be aware of your FDIC limits and you've got to manage the FDIC limits. Well, what what is that? It's essentially $250,000 per person per institution, so per bank. So if you are single and you don't have a joint account, wouldn't want to have a joint account with anyone, then think 250 per bank, essentially, okay? But let's talk through more of those. We're not going to be able to talk through every situation, but Kevin, break down more of how FDIC works, what the limits are. So if you're, so think, as Mike just said, 250 Per person, so uh, a married couple. So if I'm at one bank and I want to stay at one bank and I'm okay with a a little bit of complexity, I have an individual account for Kevin. Lori has an individual account for Lori, and then we have a joint account for Kevin and Lori. So my individual account is protected for two fifty. Lori's individual account is protected for two fifty. Our joint account is protected. For five hundred, mm-hmm. if I have still in the Kevin and Laurie scenario an individual account, and again, if you're doing this with a bank, make sure you have a payable on death or a transfer on death on those accounts, so that in the event that something happens to you, the money goes where it's supposed to go without being tied up or locked up. But if I had a, a, an individual account and then another individual account and then another individual account. I'm not protected up to 750. Mm-hmm. I'm as an individual protected as my per ownership 250. Yeah. So it's not per account, it's per ownership. Yeah. I think they call them per class or something like that, but it's it's as you said kind of bunched together, pooled together all your individual accounts, all Lori's individual accounts, any joint accounts. They're all pooled together within the bank. Now, you could go do that same structure with a second bank, and now you've just doubled your limits, mm-hmm. right? Or a third bank, you've tripled and, and so on. And so that is just, it's part of the game. If you have significant cash because you received a big inheritance or you're running a business and it builds up 
uh, a lot of cash during certain parts of the year. This is just something that you want to be aware of. Like, how, how safe is the money? How accessible is the money? And yes, oh, by the way, are you getting a good rate of return on it as well? Okay, we'll get to that because that's another form of uh, management. I just need to ask a question or, or possibly make a statement. If you have a, a credit union as your local bank mm-hmm. instead of a local bank or national bank, the FDIC limits are, don't apply to you. Instead, it's NCUA, okay? I'm going to go out on the limb and say it operates effectively the same way. Okay, and and I don't think you can say it's the exact same. No, it's not. If it was the exact same, it'd be FDIC. <laughs> it's it's NCUA, but I believe they've established it and set it up to mirror. So therefore, you shouldn't worry that well. I'm at a credit union, and uh, you shouldn't need to worry that I'm at a credit union instead of a bank, and I've got NCUA. It's it's designed to work the exact same way. You know, another question that we often get. Um, you know, when, when Corhorn Financial Group helps clients open up investment accounts, there's always some sort of cash component in a portfolio. You know, you may own a dozen different mutual funds spread across many different uh, asset categories, um, but there's always some sort of cash, cash to be able to cover costs of investing, cash to be able to send you money when you need it, that sort of thing. But that cash is usually held in a money market fund. And most money market funds don't carry FDIC insurance. There are some that exist that, that can, but most of them don't. And yet, uh, the, the, the question then is, well, is that money safe? Is a money market fund, the most liquid of all of your holdings in your portfolio, is it safe? And there have been cases in the past, rare cases, when a money market can actually fall in value ever so slightly. That can happen, but it is extremely rare. And the thing to, to recognize and understand is that your money market fund, is, it's like a special form of a mutual fund that's not going out and buying stocks, not going out and buying bonds or real estate. They're buying the shortest term um, debt instruments in the country. Like these are the shortest loans that are coming due inside of the next year. So it's some of the most liquid stuff. Many of them are inside of 90 days. So it's very, very liquid. You can even get money market funds that only buy bonds from the government. So the government's going to pay back this fund in the next 90 days, let's say. How solid is that? Feels pretty solid to me. As people have asked me, it's like, well, the, the individuals that guarantee the FDIC are the ones that hold all of the notes, all of the paper, have all of the promises. So, That's right. so yeah, if, if, if you believe in FDIC, then you're going to believe in the strength of that fund that you're holding. I think the point, though, is that this is a time, if you have any nervous feelings about the cash that you're holding, could be your emergency fund, could be a down payment for a house, could be just money that you're going to live off of in, in retirement for the next couple of years, Whatever you're feeling about that cash, maybe now's time the, the time to get into the details a little bit, to understand that with your financial advisor. Maybe there's some tweaks and changes that should be done. Maybe there's some repositioning of cash from one bank to multiple banks, that, that kind of thing. But uh, that's something that we don't pay attention to a lot. When the sun is shining and the birds mm-hmm. are chirping and the economy's roaring, no one's thinking about bank runs. I mean, good grief. That happened in the Great Depression, right? Yeah. 
Um, well, it, it can happen even today, and as we've seen, some banks have failed because of it. Here's the other. So that's the first implication. We're all talking about FDIC, just managing your risk. There shouldn't be much of it. Managing your risk, FDIC insurance, with your cash. Now, the second thing is, since there is a little bit of risk now, you've got to be, and you sh- again, all along, but this is just a very punctuated reminder, you've got to be managing the interest rate that you're getting. That's the second change that we'd encourage you to make on how how this should influence you. Right now, I, it's, I, I'm vividly, it was the, that second week in March, I'm sitting with some clients reviewing their tax return and they've kept a lot in cash, stayed below FDIC limits, but at a certain bank, they held about $330,000 in cash all year. It was joint, so it's below FDIC limits. I, as I, we were reviewing their taxes, they made a whopping $25.30 some cents in interest yeah, on that amount mm-hmm. of money. And so we pulled and I said, guys, we've got it. You've got to be able to do something better than this. And I wasn't trying to influence them to invest. It's just where can you earn a better interest rate? Certainly at the bank that you're already at, there's got to be a money market or something that you can get and and get a better interest rate. We went to that website. No, the best we could find was something that would pay 1%. We even at that website looked at CDs. There was nothing paying more than 1%. Even though right now you should be able to get close to four percent, if not slightly above, maybe some banks slightly below, on on an FDIC insured money market or savings account, and CDs should be close to five percent. And so, therefore, you've got it. So you can't just you're not just going to fall into accidentally yeah. getting a good interest rate on the bank account on your bank account. If you could, then we wouldn't have this problem. Because yeah. if you could, that meant all of these banks were earning well above today's interest rate on their cash, and they're not doing that. Therefore, they can't afford to pay you. Therefore, you need to be more aware, am I getting a good interest rate? And if I'm not, what slight adjustments can I make to get one? Love it. Yeah. So oftentimes that might mean, well, exploring an online money market, an online bank, still FDIC. So I've said this for a while. I have three rules with your emergency fund cash reserves. Number one, it's got to be FDIC insured. It has to because this can change. That can change very quickly overnight. And as Kevin mentioned in that story earlier, just based on the weather, it could change, right? So it's got to be FDIC insured. That's number one. Number two, it's got to be liquid. It, you've got to be able to go get to the money easily. So tying your cash reserves up into a four-year CD does not make sense. It's not liquid enough, okay? Um, And then three, it's got to be free. In my opinion, your emergency fund, your cash reserves, that you shouldn't, the bank should be earning money on your money, not charging you to hold it. Um, After those three rules are met, go out and get the best interest rate interest rate possible and it's it likely is going to involve a little bit of work with work with your cfp on that what other implications and gosh should you hold cash on hand because of all this we've got that more coming up on the wise money show with corhorn financial group this is wise money with corhorn financial group Thanks for being here. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFT studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Uh, stay up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us online, 
wisemoneyshow.com and then all over social media, wherever you're at, we are there as well. Search the Wise Money Show. We're talking about the regional banking crisis, what this means for you and a reason to stay connected to the Wise Money Show, that, that YouTube channel and online is as soon as this was hitting, we were talking about it, informing you and helping you make sense of how this impacted you and what you should do it. We've waited a bit to see how, if more was going to unfold before we sort of take it to the talk show. And that's what we're doing now. We're still, we're still waiting. I, I, I think maybe we're on the other side of this, but because of the, the structural, you know, the geeks call it systemic issues involved with this, we don't know. We don't know. And how quickly a rumor or a tweet or a bunch of umbrellas and people standing outside in front of a bank can shift and all of a sudden cause people to pull their money out. We, we just we just don't know. So you've got to be diligent in, in, in managing your your finances and your cash at the bank. I told you at the beginning of the show as this was happening. So the Bernards have been uh, I call it the Bernard tour. We've got, of the three kids, we've got two in travel sports, and they're in multiple travel sports at the same time. So it's six weekends in a row. I haven't slept in my own bed on a Friday night or Saturday night since before Valentine's Day. And that's not bragging. I, it's the opposite of that. Were you sleeping in your house, though? <laughs> yeah. That Good helps, question. I was helps on the couch, though. <laughs> in my bed. I haven't slept at my house. Oh, so, so a lot of windshield time, okay? And as this was going down, I think we were we had a tournament in Bloomington that weekend. As this was going down, I'm talking to Cindy about it. She doesn't like finances, but she says, well, I mean, should we, do we, can we even trust the banks? Should we take cash and pull it out of the banks and hold on to it, put it in the safe? Guys, what are your thoughts? Hey, I would say, Cindy, the music's playing, so we're dancing. That's it. But in one of my favorite all-time games ever was musical chairs. So I love musical chairs analogies. Um, and I, I probably haven't played musical chairs in 52 years. Um, but you, you have to identify the chair that you're going to be sitting in when the music stops. Because <laughs> if not, you're out of the game. And it's the same way. You need to know in our financial system, this is, it's a game. And so you need to know the game and you need to know the rules and how the rules are played. And you need to understand, is there a benefit to having cash in my house? And the best idea I ever heard, and don't come to my house and look in my freezer uh, because I don't uh, subscribe to this. But the best idea I ever heard was from a Tupperware lady, and she said she kept her stock certificates and cash in Tupperware in their freezer because she said, look, if the house ever burns down, the last thing that's going to burn is the freezer. And if the even if the if if the freezer you know melts, um, it, it it won't get waterlogged or it, it, because it's in Tupperware. Is that where like cold hard cash? Yeah, so I actually I, I shared with Cindy um, I responded very emotionally and with rage as you know a good husband would do no I'm just kidding no I sort of took a breath and said well keeping cash on hand while it might feel like you're avoiding the risk of what if the bank fails mm -hmm. it exposes you to some other risks right and you just need to be aware of that it exposes you to a risk of uh, all of us 
you know, trying to break into Kevin's house tonight and look in his freezer. <laughs> you got a freezer in the garage, right? There's a lot of venison in there, I, I though. Three so freezers. That's yes. worth more than your stock I certificates. I think the, the venison is worth more than the gold. <laughs> or, you know, or, or, or kiddos or something like that. Kiddos or friends looking for a popsicle and, oh, my goodness, what is this? Oh, fake money or something like that. Um, <laughs> you know, a, uh, a, a um, fire... Or some sort of damage, that's why I'm stuttering here, some sort of damage tornado, to your house, tornado, okay. tornado, something like that. Gosh, on the drive back from uh, from spring break, I, you know how folks that are pregnant, they've got this glow to them. I've, still, I've got a, a spring break glow still. Like I've still got, it's the, the tan is fading. But on the drive back, we drove through Indianapolis right near, right next to where the tornado whipped and it ripped apart a brand new building Mm -hmm. and came across the road and all the debris it's just devastating Hmm. they had about i don't know a 15 minute warning and about a five second awareness wow and so you have you have no ability to say oh my goodness grab the cash and get downstairs right Right. there's none of that and and Um, you're not going to have the ability to say oh my goodness i think the bank in town is failing let me get anything north of 250 so to me, I'm agnostic about whether you hold money in cash. It's a risk management thing. I told Cindy, listen, if you're very concerned about it, we can grab a little bit, but I'm not concerned about that at all. I, I those, those other risks are bigger. Everyone needs the financial. I, you can trust the banking system, and everyone needs it to be functioning. So I, I, I keep the dollars there. For, for two reasons, though. Remember, the bank serves at least two purposes. The one we've been sp- you know, focusing on most is, is your money safe in the bank? Is it backed by FDIC insurance? And that, that basically just says, can you put money in this institution and have confidence that you can get it back when you need it? That's important. But remember that the banks every single day are transacting business for you. you they are transacting cash transfers and things. They're making payments on your behalf, just like a credit card company would. Yeah, And that is the one that probably affects people the most on a day-to-day basis. It's it's not, I, I don't give a whole lot of thought to my emergency fund every day, right? I, in fact, I could go months without even remembering that it's there. But I do pay attention to, okay, is there enough money in the checking account to cover the bills that I just paid? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, is, is there enough money to make sure my taxes are, are paid? The, the banks are, are making sure that your life keeps on functioning that way. And that's really... I think what would be most disruptive to a lot of people, if your bank failed, it's not a concern for most people, am I going to get my cash back? You will eventually through FDIC insurance. But how do you function in the meantime if your cash is frozen? And I'm, I don't mean literally frozen, as Kevin was saying. I mean just not accessible to you. Yeah. And, and so that's where making sure that you have the ability to pivot. You know, we, we talked through this as a firm. Um, you know, we have the utmost faith in our local bank. We, we love them. I, we consider them partners of ours um, and have had, you know, a significant amount of KFG's uh, resources there in the bank. And we realized, well, okay, if, if a bank failed, uh, unlikely, but if it, if it happened, guess what, guys? We still have to make payroll, right? Mm-hmm. Our team still needs to get paid for the work that they're doing. And the, the utilities have to be kept up and taxes paid and all that. And so we, we just took action to say, okay, how do we make sure that we can shift dollars around and have another transactional tool available to us to keep the business functioning, even if there was a, a temporary disruption within a bank? Yeah. 
Okay, so so that speaks to the cash on hand. If you have more questions on that, individual to you, work with your CFP on that. Now, what are some other things that you at least need to be aware of due to the regional banking crisis? I think at a macro level, banks are tightening their lending restrictions or their borrowing restrictions, right? However you want to look at that. So it might be more challenging to get a loan and you need to be aware of that. Second, and sort of connected to that, if banks are being more restrictive, then that means there's not as much lubricant in the overall financial engine and that tends to slow the economy down. At the exact same time, the Federal Reserve, it has been raising interest rates that also is intended to slow the economy down. Therefore, I think guys, with the calamity here that this regional banking crisis is happening at the same time the Fed is trying to cool off inflation, it raises the likelihood and risk of recession. It, yeah. it does. It doesn't make it imminent, and we're not going to get into the definition of recession. Um, there's no question we've seen slowdowns. It raises, it increases the likelihood of that. Third, then, connection is increases the likelihood of volatile stock market. It, it absolutely does, and you need to be aware of that and make sure your investments are aligned appropriately for your financial plan and when you need when you need the dollars. And then finally, as I sort of have already mentioned, but as this all unfolded prior to the banking crisis, we were going around looking for CD rates and so on, and you could find a lot of them very competitive. They just weren't going to fall on your lap. You need to go look for them. Well, now when you start looking, there's fewer out there. And so you've got just be aware that interest rates should still be high, but it might be harder to find good CD interest rates, good money market interest rates. All of that, guys, all of that. Work with your certified financial planner. Make sure the action you're taking in response to the banking crisis makes sense within all six areas of your financial life. Okay, that's all the time we have for today. On behalf of Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, all of us at Corhorn Financial Group, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. I think if you want to have a good life, turn off all notifications of everything. Not, but turn those notifications on for except the Wise Money Show. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yes, for sure that one. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.